Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be previewing this week's Zurich Classic of New Orleans, the only team event on the PGA Tour. Everybody's going to be playing in teams this week, so it's going to cause a little bit of a difference whether you're playing DFS, making outright bets, doing one and done, whatever your action is on the Zurich Classic. We're going to be previewing it all here today and talking about how the format of the team event changes how you're going to want to set up your lineups, your betting cards, your one and done picks, whatever it may be. We're going to talk about how the team event event affects that. Now, it was a great finish on Sunday at the RBC Heritage. Um, if you listened to the podcast last week, we were on a lot of the correct players at the RBC Heritage. Um, you know, we talked about how Jordan Spieth could go is kind of like the under-owned guy. We talked about Matt Fitzpatrick being back, which, you know, proved to be totally true. Um, and just all around a good week for us at the RBC Heritage. Um, so hoping we can follow it up again. Um, as I said last week, that was one of my favorite events on the PGA Tour calendar. Um, and I was super glad that we got an elevated event. You know, we got a great field. We got a great finish. Just really good TV product on Sunday afternoon. And I tell you what, that playoff was really fun to watch. Uh, personally, I I really enjoyed it. Two great golfers going head to head. And the putts that those guys had, like the one speed almost told, like to almost told that with the amount of pressure that's on it, like I get nervous standing over a putt to break 85 at a golf course that I paid $36 to play where there's only one person watching and that person is my dad. Like if that putt makes me nervous, I can only imagine how much nervous you get when there's a crowd of thousands, you're playing for the win in a tournament and it's for a million dollar difference between first and second place. Like just the amount of pressure those guys were under uh, and to hit those shots and those putts that they did was just incredible to watch. All right. So um, enough of the RBC Heritage. We're going to be talking about the Zurich Classic here today. So um, as we always say, you'll never find a more comprehensive preview in 30 minutes or less um, for every weekly golf tournament here on Mike's Money Picks. So um, you can go ahead and put 30 minutes on the timer. We are going to preview the course. We are going to talk about the team format, uh, and then we're going to break down some golfers and then talk about some one-and-done strategy for this week. So go ahead and get that 30-minute timer ready. But first, let's get a quick word from our friends at Spotify. <laughs> All right, so the Zurich Classic is the only team event on the PGA Tour schedule. Um, it's been that way since about 2017. Uh, they look to add this event to make it, you know, kind of a change of pace, a break in the monotony of the PGA Tour schedule. I'll be honest, I really like the format. Um, but I really don't like the feels that they get for it. Like with the spot that this event is in the schedule, they're not going to get the best fields. So the team event is kind of a way to, you know, kind of, um, you know, make it a little bit different, make it a little bit unique because they know they're not going to get the best golfers to come out anyway. And what it ends up doing is with there being 80 teams of two golfers, the bottom of this field is pretty rough just because there's not enough good players playing in it that there's 160 good golfers playing in this event. It's just not how it works out. Anyway, the format of the event is very interesting. It differs from day to day. It's not dissimilar to how the team segments of a Ryder Cup or a President's Cup play out. So the guys will be playing best ball on Thursday, meaning that when you everybody's going to play their own ball through a hole, and whoever has the best score at the end of the hole is going to get that score. So if uh, Patrick Cantlay makes a three, Xander Shoffley makes a five, they get a three for that hole. Then on Friday, it is alternate shot, meaning the golfers will alternate shots every hole. Um, and also you will alternate holes that you do tee shots on. So if Patrick Cantlay takes the tee shot on one, no matter how hole one plays out, Xander Shoffley is going to take the tee shot on two. After that, there is a cut made. The top 33 teams and ties make the cut, which is pretty proportional to the top 65 at a PGA Tour event making the cut. And then they repeat the same pattern again. Best ball on Saturday, alternate shot on Sunday. 
Now, let's talk about the course they're playing. It is TPC Louisiana. Uh, it is a par 72. It is about 7,400 yards. It is a peat dye design. There's a lot of wetlands way um, in wayward areas off the tee. Um, and then there is a lot of bunkers on this course as well. It is a very gettable golf course. It is actually statistically the flattest golf course on the PGA Tour, which is amazing because Detroit Golf Club looks like a driving range, and this course is flatter than Detroit Golf Club. It also features two drivable par fours. So with the team format, you're going to see a whole lot of aggression here at this course. Um, a lot of guys going for the green on par fours, going for the greens on par fives because they know that they're going to need to make birdies to win in this team format. And honestly, TBC Louisiana is a pretty standard TPC layout, you know, par 72. There's a few peat dive features like, you know, a few random trees or a few random bunkers, a few, you know, kind of difficult par threes, but it's not really like just a super unique or super difficult course. It's kind of very cookie cutter in my opinion, other than the fact that the way it's set up, it does allow the guys to be very aggressive. Now, my comp courses for TPC Louisiana would be TPC Twin Cities, uh, home of the 3M Open, Detroit Golf Club, which I mentioned already, home of the Rocket Mortgage Classic, the stadium course at PG, PGA West, which is the host of the American Express, and then TPC Sawgrass, home of the Players' Championship. I would really lean more towards the 3M Open, uh, TPC Twin Cities, and the Rocket Mortgage Detroit Golf Club when comparing results. Um, and then if you can find event history for this, I did a lot of research, y'all. It is really hard to find uh, event history four guys because of the fact that guys change partners year in and year out. You kind of just have to look at leaderboards and see when the names pop up. So I did a lot of the research for you guys on that one. Just letting you know, if you try to look up event history for this one, it's going to be pretty tough. So if you want to use the comp courses like TPC Twin Cities, like Detroit Golf Club, that's not a bad strategy for kind of figuring out who's going to be good here at this event. Now, in terms of the golfers we want to target this week, we want guys who can make birdies. The winning score last year in this tournament was minus 29, which was the lowest of any event on the PGA Tour schedule. It was uh, Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantlay, which should come as no surprise. And those two guys were minus 24 altogether on the two best ball days. They shot a 59 on Thursday and then a 60 on Saturday. So what you're looking at is you want guys that can make birdies so that way they can accumulate the lowest score possible on the best ball days and then just kind of hold serve on the alternate shot days. You don't really have to be too aggressive on the alternate shot days because it's really hard to get in a rhythm when you're taking half the golf shots. So you're really just going to want to do all your scoring on the best ball days and you really need to be able to make birdies so that you can do that. Making pars in this event is no bueno. You want birdies and even eagles whenever you can get them now in terms of who to target whether you're betting dfs lineups one and done whatever in terms of who to target this week don't overthink it like there's a lot of people who will talk about like oh you should target this team because they're gonna have this guy making this amount of shots and this guy covers this guy's weaknesses like yeah that plays into a factor a little bit but it's not like you know um, Max Homa and Colin Morikawa can just say, all right, Max, you're a better putter. You're going to putt every time. Sorry, Colin. Like, that's not really how it's going to work. So you can get a little bit of an advantage by thinking through stuff like that, but it's not really something that you can really dive deep down in the weeds on and figure out where you can gain a few strokes. Now, there are three par threes that are on odd holes. So on the alternate shot days, guys can set up their better approach player to tee off on the three par threes as opposed to the other one par three that's an even hole. Um, so theoretically, you can get one golfer that gets 10 approach shots into greens, whereas the other is going to have eight. That's just a marginal difference. It's not going to
to make a huge um, difference as the, you know the four day total works. Um, so don't really overthink it. Don't try to dive too deep in the weeds. Just try to look for guys who can make birdies. And so you're looking for guys who have the skill set or the potential to go super low. Guys who are really long off the tee. Guys who are really good on approach. Guys who are really good with the putter. Those are all things that on any given hole can give you a really good chance at making a birdie. Now, also, one thing you're going to see with a lot of the teams this week is that you're going to see balanced teams like a Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley, where both of the guys in it are good um, or bad for that matter. Um, but you're also going to see lopsided teams like a Matt Fitzpatrick and an Alex Fitzpatrick, where Matt Fitzpatrick's a top 10 golfer in the world. Alex Fitzpatrick has not played in a whole lot of, you know, really tour level events this year. But when you look at those, Balanced teams tend to win the event, like Cantlay and Shoffley, like um, Mark Leishman and Cam Smith the year before, um, but we've seen plenty of lopsided pairings end up having top 10s. Um, if one guy is able to carry through this event, it can be done, um, it, but typically you don't see a team like that win the event. Now, one thing that does seem to happen is that chalk tends to make the cut. Like I mentioned earlier, um, the bottom of this field is very bad, so you're going to see a lot of the guys that are priced up high on DraftKings, a lot of the guys that are near the top of the odds board who do make the cut and see the weekend. Uh, last year, there was only really one really quality team that missed the cut, and that was Tommy Fleetwood and Sergio Garcia, and that was mainly because Sergio was just checked out and already packing his bags and heading to live. Um, so, But typically, the top price, top dollar teams are the ones who are making the cut and are going to be there on the weekends this week. So in terms of who to target, you really want to target guys who are comfortable together, guys who have played together, you know, maybe have a connection for whatever reason that'll kind of ease the tension of the best ball or the alternate shot format. Guys who can kind of cover each other's skill set might work as well. If you have a guy who is a better putter versus a guy who's not as great of a putter, you might be able to get a little bit of an advantage with that. Um, and then also, I like guys who have team format experience, guys who have played in this event, guys who have played in Ryder Cups and President's Cups. I'm okay with, you know, targeting those guys. Um, but that's really what we want to do this week is we want to target guys who are comfortable playing together and are comfortable playing in team format events. All right, so let's go ahead and dive into the golf profiles. But first, let's take a quick breather. All right, so at the top of the board in all formats sits Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley. Should come as no surprise. They're both two of the top 10 golfers in the world. Um, they're both coming off of a top five finish at the RBC Heritage. Both have played well in birdie fest type events. They both excel at making birdies. They're the defending champs of this event and they're best friends. So like literally everything going for these two guys. And even if you want to add on to that fact, they actually played together in the President's Cup last year and played fairly well together. And they're just two of the best five golfers in this field, no matter how you want to slice it. You could argue they're two of the best three or four even. Uh, but just everything points to like these guys contending on Sunday or winning this event on Sunday. Um, and I really think that they're just in good position to do so. They're at the top of the betting board for a reason. They're at the top of the board on DFS for a reason. I would expect on DFS them to be around 30 to 40% ownership. Now, when you're looking at DraftKings this week, remember, you're going to be picking one golfer from each team. So if you pick Patrick Cantlay or Xander Shoffley, you're going to get the points for the team of Cantlay and Shoffley. FanDuel usually does it by the teams. FanDuel does not have their pricing out yet, though, so I can't guarantee that. Um, but what that will do is it'll make it a 
little tougher to calculate ownership, but with how dominant these guys have been and how good they've been, I really think they're going to be super highly owned. If you're looking to play leverage on DFS, you can fade them, but I really think that they're the favorites to win this event for a reason, and I'm probably going to be starting most of my lineups with Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley. Next on the board is Max Homa and Colin Morikawa, the two Californians playing together. They are calling themselves Homakawa, which is actually pretty cool in my opinion. Now, they're coming in kind of not their best form. Max has not played well in the last two weeks. He did make the cut at the Masters, but he was a total non-factor over the weekend. Colin has been pretty solid. He made the cut at the Masters, had a top 10, uh, and then at the RBC Heritage made the cut, barely had a pretty good weekend, not a bad finish. Now, these two guys kind of accentuate each other's strengths and weaknesses. Colin is a terrible putter and not a great around the green player either, whereas Max is an elite level putter, and Colin Morikawa is the elite level approach player. So I kind of think that this is a pretty good pairing on paper. Um, but I am reminded last year, though, that Colin Morikawa really disappointed in this event. Um, they were one of the top pairs on the betting board. Colin Morikawa played with Victor Hovland, uh, which on paper seemed like a really good pairing. But they finished T29 because they didn't realize that neither of them can chip or putt. And so that kind of just doomed them a little bit in this event. So I kind of think the home was a better pairing for him. I think they're well-priced here um, second, but I definitely think the Cantlay and Shoffley are better. I see Homa and Morikawa more so as a leverage play against Cantlay and Shoffley than like a truly good play at this price tag. Next up is Sungjae M and Keith Mitchell, who kind of had like a little promposal type deal for getting together in this event. Both have had good finishes in this event before, but with different playing partners, and this is the first time they're playing it together. Sung JM is coming in in great form. He has four straight top 21 finishes, and he's been an absolute demon ball striking the golf ball right now. Keith Mitchell's kind of going in the wrong direction, though. He's had a dreadful last three events, and he has not been good in the ball striking categories. I would have felt better about playing these guys two or three weeks ago than right now, but I do like the fact that they've both been here before. They both played this event, and they both played well in this event. I just wish they were a little cheaper because I think the top two pairings are clearly superior to Sanjay M and Keith Mitchell. Next on the board is Justin Sutt and Sahith Thagala. This team is going to be fun. I'm not going to lie. I expected them to be much cheaper on DraftKings. I would have been super excited to play them at about 9,000, but at 10,000, it seems a little much in my opinion. However, this is the team that in my opinion makes for a great GPP play on DraftKings or FanDuel. They have the capability to get red hot and their contrast sets up super well for this event. Sahith Thagala is a super boom or bust golfer who has the capability of getting hot at any time. He has back-to-back top 10s in elevated events where he shot five under or better on a Sunday. When he gets it going, he really gets it going. He can hoe out from off the green. He can hold long putts. He can dial his approaches in. He can just get every facet of his game going in an instant. Now, Sahith also plays generally pretty well at TPC courses, so I think this sets up really well for him. Where Sahith doesn't kind of excel is he kind of has a tendency to have big numbers and have blow-up holes. He can be a little wayward off the tee. And why does that make really good news for this format? Because when they're playing best ball, Sahith can be as aggressive as he wants. Justin Sutt is super steady, super conservative as a golfer, and he's going to put Sahith in the spots where Sahith can attempt to go low. I really like this strategically for both of them, and I think they're a really interesting GPP play in DraftKings and FanDuel this week. Next up is Siwoo Kim and Tom Kim, the Kims. They played together in the President's Cup, so they're going to have a little bit of familiar experience with each other. Actually, in the President's Cup, they beat Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley. Now, these two guys both have the capability to get red hot also. Both have a win in the last eight months, which they're one of 
two teams in this event that can boast that, which I thought was kind of impressive. Uh, and then Siwoo and Tom actually have a great history at the comp courses. Um, so I really think that this sets up well for the Kims. If they're able to get red hot, they could be the ones that are holding up the trophy on Sunday. Now, Sam Burns and Billy Horschel are actually the kings of event history of any active pairing. Um, Horschel won this event in 2018 with Scott Piercy as, as his partner. Um, and then as a pair, they played the last two editions of this event together. They were fourth in 2021, and they were runner-up last year in 2022. So I really think that everything sets up well for Burns and Horschel this week. However, we're seeing a not great version of Billy Horschel right now. He's been absolutely dreadful in the calendar year 2023. He hasn't had a top 40 finish since Waste Management Phoenix Open, and that was Super Bowl Sunday, y'all. That was quite a while ago. So if Horschel can, you know, kind of rekindle his vibes for this course here at TPC New Orleans, enjoy the format of the event that he's been very good at. I think this could be a really good week for Burns and Horschel, and I hope that Horschel's recent form actually keeps people off of them and keeps ownership down. Now, next up is Wyndham Clark and Bo Hostler. And Wyndham Clark, there's no bones about it. He's one of the hottest players in the field right now. He has a great combination of length off the tee along with being really good at approach. And that's going to give him a ton of looks at birdie. And speaking of birdies, Bo Hostler actually has a deceptively high birdie rate as well. He tends to play in tournaments and make a lot of birdies, but he gives a lot of them back with bogeys. And like we kind of talked about with the Sahith and Justin Sub pairing, that is something I'm kind of willing to embrace at this event because if Bo Hostler gets a double bogey and Wyndham Clark makes a birdie on the best ball day, well, guess what? They're getting credited with a birdie. So I absolutely think this team has a high ceiling and they're definitely one worth targeting in the 9K range. If I'm being totally honest, I think when you're constructing your lineup this week, it's going to be really hard to put Cantlay and Shoffley with another pair that's in the 9K range. So I think what might be a really good contrarian build is to make a build that has like two or three of these 9K range teams together. Um, three would be really interesting, but definitely two of them. And I definitely think there's multiple in here that have the capability and the ceiling uh, to win this event with their birdie-making abilities. Now, the next one up is Kurt Kitayama and Taylor Montgomery. So on paper, this is a team that sets up really well for this event, in my opinion. Both of these guys bomb it off the tee. Both these guys have the capability of getting really hot with the putter. So they have the capability to make birdies, right? But neither's coming in with the best form. Kurt Kitayama hasn't made a cut since his win at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. And Taylor Montgomery only has one top 30 since his top five finish at the American Express. Hey, that was one of my comp courses, though. So I absolutely don't like the recent form. But on paper, this definitely sets up well as a team who can get hot and win this event. However, I think they're going to come in more higher owned than I would prefer. So I would probably, if ownership looks like it's going to be high on these guys, I would probably look elsewhere. Now, last up in the 9K range is David Lipsky and Aaron Rye. They are notable because they came in fourth here last year. The interesting part about these two is that neither of them are a good putter. But when you're playing in this format with as good as they are off the tee and on approach, they should give themselves plenty of looks for birdie. And if they can just knock in a few of them, they're going to be all right. And that's what they did last year in that fourth place finish. They actually had more birdie putts that they could have made. Um, so I definitely think that this event format sets up well for both of these guys. And I would not mind going to them. However, I do wish they were a little bit cheaper. All right, so that does it for the top of the board. Let's take a quick breather and let's talk about some value plays. 
One thing that I do want to mention as we continue to look further down the board is if you're doing any custom modeling this week or if you're doing any kind of like deep dives into databases and stats, I would greatly recommend looking at the birdie or better percentage because like I said, we're going to have to make a lot of birdies this week. So if there's somebody that I don't mention on here, but they do have a good birdie or better percentage, that's definitely somebody I would be willing to target as we get closer and closer to lock. All right. Now, first value play I want to mention is Joel Damon and Denny McCarthy. In my opinion, their skill sets fit very well together. Damon is not coming in with the best recent form, and it's largely due to his putter. He's just been ice cold with the putter. And so who does he go and team himself up with? Denny McCarthy, one of the best putters in the world. And the, both these guys actually have a little bit of history in this event. Joel Damon last year came in 29th playing with Steven Yeager, and Denny McCarthy missed the cut last year playing with Brandon Coles. And I kind of feel like this is a partner upgrade for both of them. So if they're able to improve on that T29, they can definitely pay off that price tag of 8,900. They might not have the upside to win this event, but they definitely have the ability to go low and make plenty of bonus. Next up is Taylor Moore and Matthew Neesmith. I really like them largely because of what they did last year. They tied for fourth last year playing together, which is a pretty encouraging sign because I think Taylor Moore is a lot better right now than he was then. Taylor Moore's coming off of a win at Valspar, made cut at the Masters, and a T11 at the RBC Heritage, which is one of the best recent forms in all the golfers in this field, if we're being honest. Now, Matthew Neesmith was playing his best golf in the fall in the last calendar year, but he actually showed a little bit of signs of life last week. He did make the cut at the RBC Heritage, kind of had a ho-hum weekend, but he did make the cut, which is what we do like to see. Um, and so these guys, with the finish they had last year, I definitely wouldn't mind going back to them. It's another pair that kind of like Lipsky and Rye. Just with the name recognition, I kind of wish they were a little bit lower priced, but looking at who's around them, I do get why they're here. Now, Adam Hadwin and Nick Taylor are worth mentioning, but I'm going to explain why. So Nick Taylor has been one of the best 10 to 15 golfers in this field in this calendar year. He's racked up a lot of good finishes, and he's been pretty good. But to me, Adam Hadwin is not peak Adam Hadwin anymore, and he makes this team a fade for me. He's missed three of his last four cuts at golf courses that he's familiar with, and he generally plays pretty well. And he also missed the cut at this event last year with Adam Svensson, who in my opinion is not a bad partner for Adam Hadwin. So I really don't like the direction that Hadwin's trending, even though Taylor is trending in the opposite direction. So this team is probably a fade in my personal opinion. Now, also in the 8K range are a team that are notable for one reason and one reason only. Doc Redman and Sam Ryder came in third here last year, um, and that's pretty much about all notable that I have to say about them. It's the only reason they're priced up here. If they didn't have that third place finish last year, they'd definitely be in the 7K range on DraftKings. Now, one team we do have to talk about is the Fitzpatricks, Alex and Matt. So, Here's what we got kind of got to talk about is the partner selection for both of them because this is the biggest contrast in terms of the partners on two teams in terms of ability level, right? So if Matt was playing with himself, okay, I, I got to phrase that better. If Matt was playing with Matt, right? If, if there were two Matt Fitzpatricks that were playing as a team, they would be 11K. They'd be up there with Cantlay and Shoffley. Now, if Alex was playing with another Alex Fitzpatrick, they'd be about probably 6,300 in my opinion. Because I really looking at it and doing a deep dive on him, Alex is no scrub. Like he's not just some like, you know, token brother getting to play like a Chase Kepka. I didn't say that out loud, did I? Now, he 
did play college golf at Wake Forest, who's one of the best college golf programs in the nation, recently produced Cameron Young and Will Zalatoris. And he's played well on the European tour when he plays. He just doesn't play a whole lot of you know tour-level events. But when he does get out there, he plays pretty well. So in my opinion, he's better than some of the bottom of this field. Like when you look at the bottom of this field, it gets pretty ugly. And I think Alex Fitzpatrick is better than some of those guys. So I actually don't mind going to them for that reason. If they just get like Matt Fitzpatrick to play to his baseline and Alex Fitzpatrick to play to his baseline, they're appropriately priced in my opinion. And we've definitely seen the spiking ability of Matt Fitzpatrick like he had last week at the RBC Heritage. If he plays that way, they might easily top five or win this event in my opinion. So I think it's a little bit of a misprice there for the Fitzpatricks. I don't mind playing either of them. However, a range that I really want to target on DraftKings is $7,900 exactly. There's two great teams to target, in my opinion. You got Victor Perez and Thomas Dietrich, who are both super talented and both have good history in birdie fest events. And I really think they're going to go under own because of who else is around them. And I think the people aren't that familiar with Victor Perez because he doesn't play a whole lot of events stateside. However, one of the events that he did play stateside was this event in 2021. Victor Perez came in... Um, Tie for 21st with Jason Kokrak as his partner. Uh, and you guys, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know how I feel about Thomas Dietrich. He's super talented. Um, he's got the capability to make lots of birdies. He's going to win a PGA Tour event eventually. So why not this week in a team format with one of his good buddies? I could definitely see it happening from these two. Now, we also got to talk about the Danes. Nikolai Hoygaard and Thor Bjorn Olsen. Thor, Thor Bjorn Olsen. Holy crap, that was tough. Well, Hoygaard has been absolutely incredible on the DP World Tour events this season, and he's also been incredible in the PGA Tour alternate events that he's played in this season. This is the first, like, kind of real big one, big test that he's got. But Thorborn Olsen has also not placed outside of the top 20 on the DP World Tour this calendar year. He's been outstanding. He has a win this calendar year on the DP World Tour. So, like, part of me is, like, you know, especially in an event like this where it's an easy course, like... I don't care what the field strength is of the events that you've been playing. If you've been playing good golf, like if, if you're able to make birdies, that's going to translate wherever. And that's what we want this week. And so the two of these guys have been making birdies on the DP World Tour and on the alternate PGA Tour events. So why can't they make birdies here? I think this team has a super high ceiling, and I'm really praying that they go uh, with a low ownership percentage so that way we can get a lot of leverage by putting them in our lineups. And I definitely think they make for a pretty solid bet if you can find them at a good number. Ryan Palmer and Scott Piercy are worth mentioning because both have won this event, but not with each other. Ryan Palmer won it with John Rahm, and um, I'm not trying to be like mean here, but Scott Piercy ain't John Rahm. So I kind of think that like their days of winning this event are done, but can their familiarity with the team format, can their comfortability with it lead them to a good finish? I don't know. I definitely think they're worth a look in a DraftKings format. That's Ryan Palmer and Scott Piercy. Now, in terms of pure birdie makers, there are two pairings in the mid-7K range on DraftKings that fit that description. The first one is Ryan Gerard and Ben Griffin, who should be super comfortable together because they were actually roommates when they played college golf at North Carolina, and both have strung together a lot of good finishes since February. I definitely wouldn't mind going to them. The other pair is Akshay Batia and Harry Hall. Both have a tendency to get really wild and spray it off the tee, but that kind of doesn't matter a whole lot at this course. Um, You'd really have to spray it quite a bit to get you know in water trouble or... Um, like marshland trouble. Um, so I kind of think as long as one of them is able to keep it in play, they're going to be okay. Um, and Harry Hall actually comes in with, you know, pretty good recent form. He's got three top 30 finishes in his last four starts. Now, it is really hard to get excited about anybody below $7,500 in this tournament, in my opinion, but I'm going to try to talk you into a few of them. So the first one is Callum Tarrant and Ben Taylor. Both have been not great recently. 
But Callum Tarrant was great last summer at my comp courses at TPC Twin Cities and Detroit Golf Club. So if you're a believer in the comp courses, Callum Tarrant is a guy that you can ride with. He also hasn't played bad in this event when he's shown up to play it. Now, another pair that has been pretty good at this event is Ryan Brem and Mark Hubbard. They were a T14 last year. Um, however, Ryan Brem's recent form coming in is not that great, but Mark Hubbard's recent form coming in is pretty good. So um, kind of a little bit of a yin and yang there for those two guys, but I like the T14 they had last year. If they're able to just do that again, it would absolutely pay off this price tag. Now, next up are Ben On and SH Kim. I actually really like this pair. Ben On has a great history at this event, but it's all with Sung J M as his partner. And no disrespect to SH Kim, but he's not quite on that level. So maybe there's not quite the winning upside, but there's definitely some upside to have a good finish. Ben On's made three straight cuts with a T6 at the Valero being his most recent start. And SH Kim has a T15 at the Valero in his most recent start. SH Kim is also a super steady golfer. He's a really good par maker. So on the alternate shot days at Ben on's being super aggressive sh kim is going to be kind of your steady par maker they're kind of the light version of the justin sun sahit the gala team in my opinion in terms of having the one guy who can be really aggressive and go after birdies and the other guy who's just going to be super steady now, 7K and below is when it gets really bad, in my opinion, um, and you're really kind of just grasping for straws for why to pick some of these teams. Um, I can talk myself into Eric Cole and Sam Saunders. Eric Cole had some great finishes in the Florida swing, and this is kind of close to Florida. I can talk myself into it. I can definitely talk myself into it being a similar course to some of those Florida courses that he's played well at. And then Sam Saunders is playing great golf on the Corn Ferry Tour. And like I said, this week more than ever, I'm kind of willing to go with some of the Corn Ferry Tour guys because the Corn Ferry Tour courses that they play are like birdie fest courses. Like they're courses that you could go play on a weekend for like $80. So like they're courses that are set up to score well at. And so if you're used to playing on the Corn Ferry Tour, you're used to having to make birdies to make your living. And this week, you're going to have to make birdies if you want to win the tournament. So I kind of don't mind a guy that's playing well on the Corn Ferry Tour for that reason. And Sam Stevens is probably the best of the bunch in terms of his recent form on the Corn Ferry Tour. Now, Cody Gribble and Paul Haley, looking at the whole 6K range, they probably win the recent form award. They're both coming in with some pretty solid finishes. I can definitely talk myself into playing both of those. Again, at their price tag, if they just make the cut, they're going to pay off their value. Now, another pair that I do like is Michael Kim and Sung Yul No. Uh, Michael Kim's coming in with pretty good recent form individually. He's made six of his last seven cuts, and two of those are 11th place finishes or better. And then Sung Yul No has made his last two cuts at Puerto Rico and Corrales. Now, both weak fields, but both birdie fests, both tournaments where he had to make a whole lot of birdies to finish well at. Um, and so I definitely like, you know, I, I definitely really like the upside of that Michael Kim and Sung Yul No pairing. Um, Looking further down the board than that, you're getting pretty desperate. Uh, Aaron Baddeley and Harrison Endicott, two Australians. Endicott has the capability to get hot and make some birdies, but I'm not really super sold on the form coming in. Um, one that I probably would go like as far down as I would go, I would say Kyle Westmoreland and Carson Young. I think they're a bit of a misprice. I think they could be up more in like the 6,800 range on DraftKings, um, but I like where they're at. But both of them, like, Carson Young's playing really well. Um, Kyle Westmoreland has been hit or miss, but like, you know, if we just get, you know, like I said, hit or miss, if we get a hit this week, then we're going to be pretty good, especially with the price tag they're both at. And if you want to squeeze in Cantlay and Shoffley and then another 9K golfer on DraftKings or 9K team on DraftKings, you're going to have to find one of these 6Ks that you're going to want to balance out your price tag with or balance out your salary cap with, I should say. All right, so that does it for the golfer profiles. Let's take a quick breather and then let's talk some one and done. 
All right, so this is a super weird week for one and done. The best advice I can give you this week is to know your one and done's rules if you are doing one and done for the Zurich Classic. Some one and done's are going to require you to pick both golfers and kind of like burn them for the rest of the season by picking the team. Some of them will allow you to pick one golfer and have it count for, you know, the whole team. Um, and then a lot of one and done's are doing the right thing, which is skipping this week. My, my personal one and done is not playing this week at the Zurich Classic, and I'm not opposed to it. It's not an elevated event, and it's really hard to do with the team format. Now, if you have to pick a whole team, like to pick both of them this week, um, I would probably avoid Shoffley and Cantlay and Homan Morikawa. I think you're going to want to use all four of those guys at bigger type events. Same deal with Sam Burns and Billy Horschel. Um, I think you're going to want to use Sam Burns later on in the season, as well as Matt Fitzpatrick. I think you're going to want to use later on in the season as well. Um, if you're having to burn both of them, Sung JM and Keith Mitchell is not a bad look, um, but my pick would probably be Justin Sutt and Sahit Thagawa. Um, we love Thagawa at TPC courses. We're not going to want to use Justin Sutt again for the rest of the season. So those two would probably be the two that I would personally go with if you're having to burn both of them. If you're having to only burn one of the golfers for a team, again, I'm avoiding the whole top four because I think you're going to want them later on in the year. If you're going to only burn one of them, I think Justin Suh is a great nominee, uh, but I think the best nominee is Billy Horschel. That way you get the team of Horschel and Burns, and the way Billy Horschel's playing, you're not going to want to use him as an individual anytime soon, and he is one of the bigger names on the PGA Tour, so that would be my nominee for you if you're burning one name, is to go with Billy Horschel. Um, that way you get the Horschel-Burns team, um, and you can keep Sam Burns for the rest of the season. Like I said, know the rules that you're one and done if you're playing it this week. If you're one and done's taken off this week, I probably think that's in in looking at all the rules involved, that's probably the best decision is to not be playing one and done this week for a team golf event. All right, so that does it for the preview for the Zurich Classic 2023. I think I stayed under my 30-minute limit. I think so. Anyway, yeah, I, I definitely cut it close because some of those teams, it's, it's you know, you really got to dig deep for some of the details this week. Um, so anyway, that does it for our preview for the week. Um, if you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll be notified when new episodes drop. Right now, with where we're at in the calendar year, we are primarily a golf podcast. We are going to be bringing season-long fantasy football content coming back, um, as well as over the summer, we're going to be doing a lot of different things with a lot of different styles and a lot of different sports. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. You'll be notified when new episodes drop. Also, please rate and review the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. I promise it really does help me out a lot, and I really do do appreciate you guys. I'm trying to grow this audience bigger and bigger bit by bit, and I can only do it with your help. All right, so that does it for this episode, guys. So whether you are playing DFS, making bets, or doing one and done this week for the Zurich Classic, best of luck to you. Hopefully, I was able to provide you guys with a lot of information to make the most informed pick possible. Best of luck to you guys this week. Let's pick some winners. Um, and other than that, thank you guys for listening, and I will see you next time. Mm-hmm.